It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Friday, June 4th, 2021, and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. Good evening, I'm Claudio Mendonça. Are you looking forward to taking off your mask at work when the Golden State reopens on June 15th? New Cal OSHA rules may not let that happen just yet. On the bright side, extended pandemic rules mean we can all take our drinks to go until the end of the year. More details on tonight's California Report. After a look at entertainment, news, and weather, Felton Pruitt talks with Pete Wernick, legendary banjo player and founding member of Hot Rise. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. New emergency rules passed by California's Workplace Safety Agency will keep a mask requirement at most California work sites past June 15th. KPCC's Jackie Fortier says the decision came after an hours-long meeting and multiple votes. On June 15th, workers will be allowed to take their masks off if everyone in a room is vaccinated and doesn't have COVID-19 symptoms. But if just one person isn't vaccinated, everyone must wear a mask. Cal OSHA Board Chair David Thomas said the new rules aren't perfect, but the board will work on more detailed regulations at a later date. Like I said, we're trying to open up and we're also trying to protect the people that are vulnerable. And I think we can do both. And I think this is a step in that direction. Employers will need to maintain documentation on the vaccination status of each worker, but it's unclear what kind of proof they'll need. Physical distancing will remain in effect until the end of July in most workplaces. The rules will now be sent to the State Office of Administrative Law, which will have 10 days to review them. If they're okayed, they'll go into effect on June 15th. For the California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles. Let's turn to COVID and the economy. Governor Gavin Newsom is extending pandemic rules that have allowed restaurants to expand outdoor seating and sell cocktails to go. KQED politics reporter Guy Marzarati has more. It's been a hard year for restaurant staff like Julio Bermejo, the beverage manager at Tommy's Mexican Restaurant in San Francisco. The pandemic has hit us all very hard, and it's particularly hit the bar and restaurant community very hard. But amid closures and restrictions, Bermejo says there was a bright spot. Relaxed state regulations that allowed customers to take cocktails home. Tommy's is allowed to now sell our world-famous Tommy's Margarita to go. That's a result of loosened regulations by the Newsom administration's Department of Alcoholic Beverage Control. The department also made it easier for restaurants to expand seating to sidewalks and parking spaces. On Thursday, Newsom stood outside of Tommy's to announce those changes will remain through the end of the year. To allow these businesses to expand their footprint and expand their opportunity to recover from this pandemic and moreover uh, to create new business opportunities in the future. But finding new seating is just one of the issues restaurants have had to deal with during the pandemic. You can ask California Restaurant Association President Jock Condi for the full list. Uh, Do you have three days? Condi says the patchwork of state and local rules were especially hard for businesses to keep track of. Many counties were doing things differently, and that was a huge frustration. And many restaurants didn't make it through the shutdowns. In a statement, California Republican Party Chair Jessica Patterson says Newsom's relaxed regulations, quote, offered little to the nearly one-third of California restaurants that permanently closed during the pandemic. For the California Report, I'm Guy Marzarotti.
$15 million in prizes, $50,000 Fridays, and $50 gift cards to supermarkets like Albertsons. No, it's not the Price is Right or Wheel of Fortune. It's California's Vax for the Win, the state's COVID vaccine incentive program, a campaign to coax more people into getting vaccinated. And today is the first of two $50,000 Fridays, where 15 people will win 50 grand each. You're eligible as long as you live in California, have received at least the first dose of your COVID-19 vaccine, and are 12 or older. In all, the state is spending more than $116 million on the vaccine lottery program. But is the state's vaccine incentive program really working? According to data collected by the San Francisco Chronicle, since the program was introduced by Governor Newsom on May 27th, California has continued to see a steady decline in the number of vaccine doses administered. In fact, in the three days following the governor's announcement, there was a 20% daily decrease compared to the previous week. Dr. Peter Chin Hong is an infectious disease specialist at UC San Francisco. He tells the California report that while fewer people are getting vaccinated, that might not be a bad thing. Those people on the fence might have signed on earlier if they had had an incentive, but one could also say they signed on and they got the vaccine despite not having an incentive So that's a victory for public health and for the community as well. In Ohio, which was one of the first states to offer a lottery prize to get vaccinated, health officials there say in the week following the announcement, vaccination rates increased by nearly 30 percent. Dr. Chin Hong says the effectiveness of these programs could depend on location, as residents in some states may be more motivated by possible rewards than others. Many medical experts have brought up ethical concerns about these contests and prizes as well. Chin Hong says that while he wants everyone to get vaccinated as quickly as possible, it's concerning that some people are motivated by money rather than protecting themselves and others from a deadly virus. And moving on, start fires to prevent fires. The state Senate unanimously passed a bill this week that, if it becomes law, would help promote the practice of prescribed burns as a firefighting tool. KQED climate reporter Ezra David Romero explains. Controlled burns managed by professionals are one of the most cost-effective methods for clearing overgrown forest. But their use has been limited because of liability concerns, like who is responsible if a prescribed burn gets out of control. The bill would establish new liability standards and would make insurance more accessible to fire professionals known as burn bosses. It would only hold those burn bosses responsible for an escape fire if there is gross negligence. The bill now goes to the Assembly, and then if it passes, to the governor's desk. For the California Report, I'm Ezra David Romero. Support for the California Report comes from water heaters only, specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968. Licensed and insured, open 24 hours a day every day. Learn more at waterheatersonly.com. Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. 
And that is the California Report for Friday, June 4th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Danny Bringer and Katie McMurrin, with assistance from Seal Muller. Our producers are Mary Franklin Harvin and Keith Mizuguchi. Our senior editor is Angela Corral. Our director of news is Vinnie Tong. Our executive editor is Ethan Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great weekend. In local news, a man with a history of arson was arrested today by the Grass Valley Police Department. According to Sergeant Brian Blakemore, a 911 call was made just before noon about a man attempting to start a fire near the 200 block of Dorsey Drive. Once officers conducted a local area check, they located Christopher Place, 37, of Yuba City, in the area of Sutton Way and Brunswick Road. Officers contacted the person who reported the incident and investigated the scene around Dorsey Drive. They determined that there was a small piece of vegetation exhibiting the same kind of char or burn mark consistent with the caller's story. Blakemore said police transported the caller to where Place was, and she confirmed that he was the same man she saw starting the fire earlier. According to Blakemore, Place is an arson registrant in the state of California, which means he's been arrested and convicted of arson-related crimes. Place remains in custody, under bond. That from the Union of Grass Valley. In entertainment news, the First Friday artwork returns tonight to Nevada City. Local artisan boutiques, shops, and restaurants will be featuring local artists in a series of art receptions and live events throughout the evening. The event takes place downtown until 9 p.m. The Bear Yuba Land Trust's annual Celebration of Trails event is today and tomorrow. The event celebrates diverse trail users and raises funds for trail maintenance projects. Participants will meet for a celebratory kickoff at Robinson Plaza in downtown Nevada City from 4 to 8 p.m. tonight, and then tomorrow, June 5th, it's Choose Your Own Adventure as folks hit the trails for an all-day, all-ages-and-abilities exploration. More information at the Bear Yuba Land Trust website, byLT.org. And this Sunday, June 6th, in Nevada City, it's Village Market Day, a citywide celebration. Visitors can explore local museums and art galleries, indulge in delicious foods, and even visit restored Victorian homes in nearby neighborhoods. Magic shows, face painting, and dancing happen throughout the day. Looking for music? The Jones Bar Jammers will play a mix of blues, soul, and old-school rock outside on the patio at Uncle Sonny's Bar on Saturday from 7 to 10.30 p.m. Finally, a reminder... On Sunday, June 6th, crews will be performing crack sealing work on State Route 267 between Old Brockway Road, Soaring Way, and Truckee Airport Road, Schaefer Mill Road. The work is scheduled from 5 a.m. to 4 p.m. with one-way traffic control anticipated. In regional weather, in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, clear with a low around 62. Saturday will be sunny with a high near 88. Sunshine continues into Sunday with a high near 86. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight clear with a low around 48. Tomorrow sunny with a high near 79. Sunday will be sunny again with a high near 76. A fire weather watch will be in effect for the region from Sunday afternoon through Monday evening. And finally, for our friends in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight mostly clear with a low around 58. 
Saturday, sunny with a high near 94. Sunday will be sunny with a high near 93. Felton Pruitt recently spoke with Pete Wernick, legendary banjo player and founding member of Hot Rise, about the history of the band and about the bluegrass jam camps that he puts on. We're talking with Pete Wernick from the legendary band Hot Rise. Uh, Pete not only plays banjo with Hot Rise and many other uh, configurations, but he also has a thing called Bluegrass Jam Camp, which he puts on around the country, and then he has certain people host them. And Rick Sparks is going to be hosting one in Susanville, California, on Wednesday and Thursday, June 23rd and June 24th. I guess with that intro, I'll be quiet and say, hi, Pete. Hi, Felton. It's great talking with you, and you really, you just nailed it. You said so many good things in a little bit of time. Good for you. Okay. Well, That's, you're a pro, right? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, as we were talking earlier, I was saying maybe I should get a piece of this jam camp thing because I thought I taught you how to walk around festivals and go to jams, <laughs> and then you went, "No, I taught you how to do that." So, well, the the, the actual etiology, to use a major five dollar word, there. Uh, the way I started jamming, you know, I didn't have any lessons or anything like that. Uh, I liked music. I was listening to the hit parade, and I remember Elvis, when he was a country star before he broke as a rock and roll star, I was listening at the age of nine to that kind of stuff. I really loved music, but I didn't play anything, and I fell in with a bunch of people who, uh, in addition to doing the usual teenage stuff, playing cards, playing ball, uh, we were, they were also into playing music. And Pete Seeger, you know, growing up in the New York City area in the 60s, uh, Pete Seeger's influence was everywhere because when he had gotten blacklisted in the early 50s, he became a troubadour that visited about every school and summer camp in the whole Northeast. So he actually started the folk boom practically single-handedly, and all kinds of people were playing guitars and banjos, including my friends in the Bronx. And just to kind of fit in, I had a banjo in the house that my dad had bought, and, and a friend started showing me a little bit of stuff on it. And before I knew it, I could play with them because I learned how to follow guitar chord changes. If you can just look over at the left hand of the guitar player, you know what chord to play. And it's, it's that simple, and uh, you don't have to learn anything about music theory or reading music and all kinds of stuff. And a lot of great songs only have three chords. So I was starting to play by the time I was 15, and I heard Scruggs in person and also on record, and that totally dazzled me, and then I sort of branched into bluegrass. But uh, the fact that I could already jam on folk music kind of stuff with um, Charlie and the MTA and songs like that and various Pete Seeger songs, I was able to hear what Earl was doing chord-wise, and that led me into figuring it out. And because I already knew how to jam, I could make liaisons with people. In fact, I guess since this, you're in California, right? Yes. Well, there's this fellow named Jerry Garcia who is probably famous beyond California. <laughs> at the time, he wasn't at all famous. Uh, when I was 17, I happened to be in Palo Alto because my dad had a job at Stanford that summer, and I 
did my usual thing, which is I just looked for people to play with, and I got pretty lucky. I played with David Nelson and Jerry Garcia and me. We were like a little trio of bluegrass people that summer of 63. Jerry, who was a great banjo player, was nice enough to switch to mandolin because I could only play banjo. And so we had a little trio, and, you know, just the fact that I knew how to play with other people and learn songs on the fly, that that's that's really what got me into music and cut to the more present time. I learned how to teach banjo, and then I wrote a banjo book that sold very well and wrote a bunch of other things and started doing banjo camps, but I started realizing that... Um, banjos when you get 20 banjo players together the jamming is going to not be very bluegrassy because it's all banjos and uh sometime in, in 1990s i started offering jam camps where all instruments were welcome and uh realized there was quite a large demand for it nobody else was doing it and uh so i started running jam camps and eventually stopped even doing banjo camps then in 2010 we're actually 2009. This is a long story, but it leads somewhere. <laughs> uh, my wife got pretty sick one summer, and I just couldn't go to Gettysburg where I was going to run a jam camp. So my lieutenant, whose name is Ira Gitlin, uh, I, from the hospital where my wife was, I, I just wrote all kinds of instructions about how to run a jam camp, and I realized when he had successfully done it, I realized this is something I really need to do is show other people how to do this because I couldn't meet the demand all by myself by a long shot. So what we have now is over 50 teachers who are all over the United States and in several foreign countries, and they basically teach people how to jam. And Rick Sparks has been with me uh, in our organization for most all of the time, and he he's based in... Um, uh, Reno, Nevada, but he teaches in Arizona and California, and he's a very versatile guy, lovely guy. And so he'll be at Susanville doing two three-hour sessions where total beginners, as long as they can play four chords, are, are welcome, and they can jam like crazy on just four chords. <laughs> and also experienced people, if they just want to get into a jam situation and get some pointers, it's all there, and uh, the way to find out about it is go to letspick.org, those eight letters, letspick.org, okay. and just look up, look it up, and there it is. Well, we're talking with Pete Wernick from Hot Rise, who is putting on the bluegrass jam camps around the country. There's going to be one, as he just said, in Susanville on June 23rd and 24th. And uh, once again, what's that uh, website that you go to? It's letspick.org. Pete? I just wanted to find out, is there going to be any Hot Rise stuff in 2021? Um, not to my knowledge, except uh, I guess I'm not authorized to say exactly what it is, but we're going to get a very special honor in December, and they want us to play, so we're going to play. <laughs> oh, okay. But we're... we haven't been playing very much lately. Basically, we had about a something like a 10-year period where we went from what had been our sort of very occasional post-disbanding mode. Well, the history of Hot Rise started in 78, were full-time for 12 years, disbanded but on good terms so that it was even before the end of the year we did another another gig and 
we were doing a few every year. And then in 2009, I, I got together with Tim and I said, you know, this Steve Martin thing and Dolly Parton's into bluegrass now and Alan Jackson, all these people, maybe we should get back into trying to, you know, promote ourselves and see if we could, you know, make some hay while the sun shines. And so we did. We got management for the very first time ever. We started. We made a record, and we decided the record should all should be all new material. So we're not just reprocessing the old stuff from the '80s. Not that we didn't like it, but just had a show that we're now and not just then. And uh, we had quite a run. We we put out a record that got good response, and then we. Had a big year in 2015. We actually hit 30 festivals that year, and it was it was wonderful. We had a wonderful time and um, kept going. We had a 40 year celebration in 2018, marking 40 years since we started, and uh, that became a record, an album with uh, guest artists Jerry Douglas and Sam Bush and Stuart Duncan. So we were a seven piece, which is weird. <laughs> When you when you overload yourself with superstars, you know it's hard to be a four piece band anymore. <laughs> yeah, and uh, there was quite a difference. But we it came out as a record, it was a good record, and um, and after uh, the year, well, we had a, a second annual 40th anniversary concert, and that was our last official gig, and then we just decided, you know, okay, that's that's enough for now. Let's just let it rest and everybody is super busy doing other stuff you know tim has his own band and we're talking about tim o'brien tim o'brien and he's he's out and about and doing very well and nick is still doing e-town that's nick forster of course yeah and they celebrated 30 years uh as a radio program which is fantastic yeah we carried that on kvmr yeah well that's very astute of you because it's a wonderful show and um then brian sutton is busy produces records he's uh he has an online teaching business and he worked so hard you know he went right from high school into being a studio musician and his house believe it or not is paid for (laughs) (laughs) and he's only in his 40s and um and that's because he's such a dang good studio musician and so versatile and plays all the instruments and great guy to have in a band and so we, we, we did real well with uh, the time we had. And uh, right now we're sort of, you know, we haven't made any uh, agreement not to play. We just, we're just we just not trying to get gigs and we let our management go. And um, it's all okay. You know, um, I'm 75 now, so I'm not exactly hankering to go uh, spend a different, you know, uh, every night in a different hotel in a different city uh but I am running a string now of over over a year of sleeping in the same bed, which has not happened since I was a teenager living at my parents' house. Well, I think COVID did that to a lot of people. So It that, did. Yeah, yeah. Well, Pete, that's just a, a great story about Hot Rise, and we certainly hope maybe in 2022 you guys decide to do a couple gigs, because we'd all love to see Hot Rise out on the road again, or at least here at Strawberry or someplace nearby. We've been talking with Pete Wernick from Hot Rise, who puts on the Bluegrass Jam Camps. The next one that he's putting on is going to be hosted by Rick Sparks. It's going to be in Susanville, California, 
on Wednesday and Thursday, June 22nd and 23rd. And Pete, what's that website again to get more information? Let's pick.org. That's Pete Wernick from Hot Rise. Thanks for talking with us, my old friend. You're so welcome. KVMR's Evening News airs Monday through Friday from 6 to 6.30. You can hear this show again and Felton's interview with Pete Wernick in its entirety on our website or wherever you get your podcasts. For their support, KVMR thanks Natural Selection, a local mom-and-pop grocery store in downtown Grass Valley, featuring organic produce, local goods, freshly prepared food, also beer and wine. Online shopping with curbside pickup available naturalselectiongrocery.com and the Nevada City Farmers Market every Saturday from 8.30 a.m. to 1 p.m. in Union Alley through November featuring sustainably grown food from local farmers, crafts, artisanal offerings, and live music. EBT accepted, ncfarmersmarket.org Stay tuned. The California Report magazine is next and then it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Thanks for listening. I'm Claudio Mendoza. Have a fun and safe weekend.